Hello and welcome to another episode of the Meliora podcast brought to you by, yep, you guessed it, the folks at the Meliora Medical Group. Uh, my name is Jordan Lewis and once again I am joined by the guru of all things lifestyle medicine, Dr. Alex Maxwell. Doctor, how are you getting on this week? Yeah, I'm really good, you know, really good. How are you? Not too bad. The week's dragged a little bit, um, you know, been looking forward to this, so I'm glad that we're here. Um, Absolutely. Now before we move on, obviously we're talking about nutrition today, which is a, a massive, massive topic. Uh, before we move on, we're just going to answer a few questions. We've got a bit of a um, listener interaction, which is great from last week. Um, and they want a few questions answered, so I'm going to pose them to you and you're going to give us the answers as our expert. So the first one comes from Alex Smith in Warrington. Um, and he says, guys, massive fan of the podcast. Absolutely love your work. When I was at school, I was told by a teacher that the hours before midnight count as double when it comes to sleep. Is this true? So Alex Thanks for your, uh, your feedback. It means a lot to us. Dr. Alex, is it true that the hours before midnight count as double or was Alex's teacher mugging him off a little bit? Hmm. I wonder whether there's a little bit of a conspiracy in there getting people to go to bed early. Um, Sounds like it for teachers. Yeah. So it's a bit of a myth. However, if you curtail how much you sleep, your body will start to prioritise that REM sleep that we were talking about. Yeah. And... It's a bit like before 12, you're more NREM, so physical, physical recovery. And after midnight, you're a bit more of your REM, which is your mental recovery, to be really you know, simple. So no, they're not, not double as uh, useful, but they're slightly more useful for different things. And I would suggest that you try and get to bed around 10 or 11 and wake up around 6 or 7 to get those 7 or 8, 9 hours, depending on uh, how old you are. Well, there you go, Alex Smith in Warrington. Your teacher was pulling your leg, but actually, um, I hope he wasn't literally pulling your leg. Um, that's another story. Uh, but hopefully that helps you out a little bit and uh, bust that myth for you. Uh, our next one comes from a friend of the podcast, Andrew in Surrey. Andrew says, guys, you were talking about coffee last week. I have a cup of tea every night before I go to bed. Is this caffeine amount similar? And if so, is it affecting my sleep? Ah, that's a good question. So... Tea has about half the amount of caffeine the coffee does on average. Obviously, you know, espressos and stronger coffees and et cetera. But yeah. it's about half. Um, the thing there is two, two things. So the caffeine will still be affecting you. And as we know, it's about seven hours, six, seven hours that it takes to go down from full level to half the level. Yeah. Um, so having a cup of tea before bed, the caffeine will affect your sleep a bit. However... You know, we're talking about being cool or being able to cool. So being warm and able to cool. Yeah, yeah massively important. Yeah, that's one of the initiators of sleep. So actually what tea does is it warms you up and then you're able to cool and then that initiates sleep. So I would suggest a hot drink is fine. In fact, it's helpful and beneficial. But something possibly like chamomile or a decaf tea would be more useful. Great. Well, Andrew, hopefully that uh, answers your question and helps you out with your sleep. Uh, and last question we've got, um, and actually pretty topical because it's going to lead us nicely into nutrition, is from Lauren in London. And Lauren says, guys, I hear a lot about an afternoon slump. Um, I personally experience this all the time. Yeah. A lot of people blame it on eating lunch. But is it actually that our bodies are scientifically in need of a rest in, uh, in the afternoon, much like our, our friends in Europe who uh, have their siesta? Ah, uh, yeah, um, the magic siesta. Um, so there's a couple of reasons why you get the afternoon slump. The first is intrinsically physiological. So that circadian rhythm I was talking about, the very yeah. start of the day, 
it doesn't it's not quite as simple as just up and down there is actually a natural slump at around two three four o'clock um, where your cortisol levels lower the second thing is often at that point you've not been moving very much mm -hmm. um, and possibly you're a little bit dehydrated as well um, and then the constituents of what you've eaten if there's quite a lot of carbohydrate in your meal your lunch then that makes a substance called triterfan a little bit higher it's an amino acid and that makes you a bit more likely to uh, feel sleepy um, so the way to get rid of that is to make sure you're not too sedentary especially just around then so go for a walk get up and move at least stretch mm -hmm. for five minutes make sure you're obviously drinking enough water um, and um, avoiding too much of a carb carbohydrate heavy meal because um, you, you don't want triterfan levels to go uh, too easily accessible and make you even more groggy. Awesome. Well, Lauren, hopefully that answers your question. And thanks very much, everyone, for getting in touch. Um, at the end of this podcast, we will put our details up so you can get in touch with us with any questions about this podcast. We love to hear from you. Our, our listener interaction is a massive part of this for us. And, you know, we do this for you. So please do get in touch with us and let us know your questions and we'll try and answer them. Yeah. So, Dr. Alex, we're on nutrition, nutrition today. Now, it's important to remember with nutrition, isn't it, that this is not a one size fits all. Everyone's got a very different relationship with food. Mm. People need different things. So we're not trying to advocate sort of a, a perfect diet or this is what you must have, but rather give some pointers. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, nutrition, you know, so I'm a doctor and I think the first thing to say is, although I do have extra qualifications in nutrition um, or I'm currently doing even more, I'm not a nutrition expert in the sense of, a, you know, a nutritionist. A nutrition uh, PhD or MSc or a dietitian, um, and I'm not a, a nutrition scientist. Again, a bit like with the sleep, I'm someone who reads through the literature, understands the body of evidence, and then is able to translate that to the people that I'm dealing with. Um, nutrition is a very emotional subject. A, a lot of people feel very passionately about it. People can be quite entrenched in ideas, um, and people can be very anti other ideas. And I think generally what I try to do is be a little bit more partisan, be a little bit more um, individual for people to guide yeah. them, to help their nutrition, rather than preach one type of nutrition definitely being the best. Because in my experience, that's a bit reductionist and it limits the ability of people to have a personalised and kind of more, more natural way of improving their food rather than making them eat perfectly. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the things that I always struggle with nutrition is the unhelpful headlines. Mm. You see things, you know, red meat is one week the enemy and the next week red meat is exactly what we need or a glass of wine every single night. Is it good? Is it bad? I've read headlines that say both. Um, and I think a lot of people that will be listening to this podcast suffer with the same thing. We don't really know what to believe when it comes to nutrition, do we? Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, the, the trouble is, as we know, the media can be very can be very damaging, very undermining. Because you know, if you people remember, if you one moment were saying eggs are bad for you, and then the next moment you were saying eggs are good for you, it undermines the validity of the reality. So people don't know what to believe in, and then they stop. They just disengage. And the trouble yeah. is, as soon as you've disengaged then you're not open to listening and, like I said, making that stepwise process to improve your nutrition, which is actually what we're trying to do. Everyone wants to be healthy and eat well. And it's more than nutrition as well, isn't it? There's lots of behavioural psychology. There's lots of 
your culture there's lots of where, where you come from socially and you know all these kind of factors go into why you eat how you do and it's not just fuel it is emotion birthday cake it's celebration it's all these things it's intrinsic and memories yeah exactly it takes you back and that's really important to remember that you you know we're not just a race car you can't just put exactly the right amount of fuel in and off we go i wish we could but actually there's more it's more nuanced than that more more emotional which is good i think that's a great great analogy with the race car because i think it a lot of, we tell kids that don't we like you know i remember being sort of five years old it's crazy that i remember this and i never used to eat lunch and i remember a teacher saying your body is like a race car and if you don't put the fuel in it you know you're not going to be able to function and actually it's quite a simplistic but we're not really doing it justice are we no no so yeah i mean i wanted to talk about just some of the constituents of food and yeah. why, some, a, a bit of why they're important i mean each one of these parts you could do you know i could talk for a, a day oh god i don't think anyone would want me to oh, I've got something <laughs> in my eye. but you could talk about something for 24 hours and each one one part of this so just a nice quick overview of the big parts of foods and why they're important and what they do um so the first one is protein i think everyone knows about protein um it's very very important it is the building blocks of us pretty much almost entirely you know muscle loads of things skin hair you know made up of protein um and it's very important to get it it doesn't have to be from animal sources uh it can be from all sorts of plant-based uh, sources as well but generally getting enough protein is well associated with having a good body composition so not being overweight if you eat a bit more it's very satiating as well um, yep. and uh, it can be delicious as well um, which is always important yeah um, tip so one of the things i wanted just to mention is the rni or rda you know these values that they put out that you should have a day yeah yeah i see um, it on the, the side of the packet yeah so that what that is is actually the minimum amount to prevent uh, poor health so for example, um, there's a, something called Kwashiorkor, which is where um, you don't have enough protein. You would have seen those very sad photos of mm -hmm. children with very big bellies, um, you know, during maybe the Mozambique droughts um, or Blue Peter or, you know, whatever content mm -hmm. in it. And that's because of fluid um, buildup and because they've not got enough protein. So actually that RDA is 0.8 grams per kilogram. Um, which is actually the minimum amount required to prevent those things. So it's not actually the top end, it's the bottom end. And people need to remember that um, with, with protein. And with protein, uh, we all know, you know, you can get it from eating, you know, animal sources and stuff like that. Can you recommend any sort of great protein sources for, for people that perhaps don't eat meat or anything like that? How else, if we're trying to go towards a more plant-based diet, which yeah. I'm sort of trying to steer myself towards, what are some great sources of protein that I can be taking on board? Yeah, absolutely. A great question. So, for example, beans, pulses, um, things like tofu and soy. Um, so, there's lots and lots of uh, great sources, and it depends on what you, you know, what you feel that you'd like. And actually, it's not the bland old things that we used to associate with. There's some incredibly delicious things that you can do, and tofu on its own. You know, you can scramble it, you can fry it, you can you can do all sorts, and it, you can put loads of great flavors with it. So, yeah, pulses. Uh, legumes and tofu and soy are just some of the many. Awesome. What's our next food group? Well, next one I thought we'd talk about carbs. So, oh, no, no carbs after eight, no carbs before marbs. 
you know. <laughs> Absolutely is, not a problem this year, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. This this is the um this is the myth that carbs cause obesity. Um, yeah. Now they don't. I think it's the first thing to say. You could eat just sugar and lose weight. It'd be horrendous. Um, and I wouldn't suggest you do, but remember that carbohydrate, no one big group of the protein, fat and carbohydrate should be vilified. Um, carbohydrates provide energy. They are absolutely, they're not essential in terms of absolutely essential. You could live on just protein and fat, um, which are essential. Um, however, carbohydrates in order to live very successfully, to perform, to concentrate, to be as healthy as you possibly could be, they are very much needed. Um, they provide fiber, they mm -hmm. provide many, many nutrients and minerals. I think generally my tip with carbohydrate is it should be rel relative to your activity level and you don't want it to be processed. So the more processed the food is, i.e. the more steps that have gone through it, from it being you know, dug up or, or picked or whatever to being in, into your mouth, yeah. the less likely it is to have good nutritional content, the more likely it is to have lots of calories and not very many uh, micronutrients so we're looking for bang for buck aren't we lots of nutrients lots of water lots of fiber, that's it and not yeah. too much um not too many calories so the headline i'm getting from that is carbs are not the enemy no. but not all carbs are made equally there are some that are better for us and some that we should sort of steer towards and some that we should veer mm. away from um totally brilliant and then fat so fat so this is the other thing i was going to say one minute carbs are the enemy the next no it's fat that makes yeah. you uh, fat yeah fats actually really important right totally so our um cells the lining of them are made of not entirely but quite a lot of them are fat or lipid based fat based so without them and also it cushions our organs to prevent impact damage mm -hmm. um, and is necessary to absorb lots of the um, vitamins as well. A, D, E and K are all fat soluble and they are the ones that you have to have fat to be able to absorb them. So um, fat is absolutely essential, like protein. Um, it's, the thing about fat is the two principles are you want to have good quality fat and that generally is plant, plant fats. Um, yeah. saturated fat is not as damaging as people would like to make out well again I'm treading a very careful line here lots of saturated fat is probably not very good for you however it's not dietary saturated fat is not as closely related with you know the ischemic heart disease and things that people uh, once thought however I wouldn't suggest that you have lots of them and I would suggest that you have on the lower end and again I'm not going to quote values because it's personal yeah um, so you want to have good quality fats, which tend to be liquid at room temperature um, and are plant-based fats, olive oils, those kind of things. Um, and it's not quite as black and white as animal fats bad, you know, uh, plant fats good, but probably more of them. Um, and then the other thing um, to think about is that fat, although it's not bad for you on its own, in fact, it's good for you, it is something that's very high in calorie. So you've got one gram of protein and carbs, they're four kilocalories. Fat is more mm -hmm. than twice as dense as that, it's nine. So you just have to be cautious with the portions that you're having of fats. And remember that if you're having a peanut butter, you know, peanut butter on toast or banana or something, the amount 
of peanut butter, even if it only looks a little bit more, can be hugely greater in calorie. So it's worth just mentioning that. I must say, I'm absolutely delighted to hear you say that a little bit of cushion is, uh, is necessary and actually beneficial. Yeah. Um, my nickname at the rugby club is actually the pud. So uh, <laughs> delighted to hear that a little bit of uh, a little bit of fat is actually beneficial. That's, uh, yeah, that's really, really made my day. Yeah, uh, it's an unfair, it's an unfair nickname, but um, yeah, delighted to hear that. Yeah, so we've got fat, protein, carbs. <clears throat> they are the macronutrients, the big guys. And then you've got the little yeah. guys. So that's <clears throat> micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. Um, I think, okay. you know, you could talk again for hours about B12, folate, zinc, or vitamin C, all these different ones. Yeah, there's so many. So yeah. Many. My general principle with that is if you are having good quality nutrition, i.e. based on lots and lots of vegetables, your diet should be based mainly yep. around vegetables. So there's nothing wrong necessarily with animal products. But if, if you wanted to improve your diet, generally having adding a bit more veg would be a great place to start. Um, and that will provide you generally with the majority of the vitamins and minerals that you require. Maybe adding a few nuts and seeds <clears throat> um, and again, good quality fats and enough protein. And that in itself is probably a basis for 95% of health for most people. And I think we remember that, you know, we always are arguing around the periphery, whether the subtleties of the out, the real periphery of, of the core issues. And that's what confuses people. Actually, the majority of nutrition scientists agree that the majority that what people should be eating is those things based on plants a few nuts and seeds enough protein from whatever sources that you like and um good fats and that's it in a nutshell so on the surface it's pretty it's pretty basic as we say like different people are going to have different needs and different requirements and that's where when you start digging down on individual cases i'm sure it gets much more complex but actually if we were just giving a blanket statement, actually, it stays quite quite simple and quite basic, doesn't it? As you've just yeah. said, and that gives you enough of what yeah, you need: awesome. enough fibre and enough water. So yeah, I mean, generally, it's not actually as complicated as people make it out to be in the principles. Um, let's move on and let's talk about some of the benefits of having a great diet. Um, now, personally, when when I think about having a great diet, and I think a lot of people will be the same, you think about the aesthetic benefits. You know, there's so much now on weight loss and getting a cracking set of abs and, uh, you know, big guns and stuff like that, and just being aesthetically quite healthy. But it goes so much deeper, doesn't it? Yeah, and luckily it does. Um, you know, I, I think, again, you can wax lyrical about the benefits of good nutrition forever, but I'll give you a few of the big, big pointers. You know, you can cure diabetes from having good nutrition, type 2 diabetes. You can cause it by having poor nutrition. You can consistently overeat, and it doesn't have to be carbs, but if you are diabetic, you have an inability to process carbs well or listen to your body signals to help to try and process them. But you could get diabetes just from protein and fat. I think that's worth mentioning. Um, that you know your body's metabolism and ability to deal with the carbohydrate would be very significantly impaired through just being very obese. Obviously. That's a very black and white statement. And yes, of course, everyone yeah. has carbs and carbs in excess cause obesity and an inability to, to process them. But yeah, diabetes for one. 
it increases your chances of, if you eat well, it increases your chances of, uh, well, decreases your chances of not having can many cancers, including stomach cancers and gastrointestinal cancers, improves your libido, helps your sleep, better energy. Yeah, better energy. There's numerous, and they're all intrinsically linked to what you eat. And the power that food has, not to be underestimated. Yeah, I think that's so important to remember, you know, it's not having a good diet is not just about looking good, but looking after your body. And there's so many things. I mean, I, I, for me, I never knew, for example, that having a good diet actually was decreasing your risk of cancer. Like scientifically, you can lower the risk of having cancer by just having a good diet. Um, it's so, so important. I think everyone looks on that, that surface level, mm. but looking after what's going on inside your body is even more important. Um, totally. Yeah. You know, so we're talking about all the obvious ones and then something that's even less, less clear. For example, having good nutrition and ensuring that you're getting enough fiber and some of the nutrients that are associated with your gut health make it less likely to get rheumatological conditions like rheumatoid arthritis um, and autoimmune conditions like thyroid disease or Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. So your immune system directly interfaces with your gut and little cells called T-regulator cells that calm your immune system and make it less likely to get uh, focused on itself and, and kind of attacking itself. They actually calm things down and you can promote them through good, good nutrition. So it's crazy the impact that these things can have. Yeah, you always hear about good gut bacteria, don't you, and how important it is to have the, that good bacteria in your gut. Yeah, totally. And it really is. And I'll talk about how to help that in a bit, actually. Awesome. Um, if we're talking about, you know, we spoke about at the beginning that there are so many myths mm. around food. Mm. Um, and I think it'd be helpful for myself, but also our listenership, to bust some of these myths and to sort of bust it wide open. Because like I say, it's impossible to know what to believe. Different people write different things. Um, um, let's talk about a few myths. Um, you're the expert. Where would you like to start, Doctor? Ooh. Let's talk about X makes you fat. So X makes you fat. Carbs make you fat. Protein makes you fat. Yeah. Fat makes you fat. Cake makes yeah. you fat. Etc. It's not true. Too many of those things do. Consistently, too many of anything can. And there's some really interesting studies demonstrating that people who ate awful quality food like McDonald's every day for months, two months, they lost weight because they were eating fewer calories than they needed. And I am fully aware that calories mm -hmm. are not the only answer. Yes, they have their flaws. Um, they're not fully accurate. It's not necessarily actually what you absorb. Um, and some people don't like tracking because it is too, too time consuming or too challenging for them. And we can work with them. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But on a general basis, X makes you fat is wrong. Too much. Too blown out of the water. Um, a myth that I'd like us to bust. There is such thing as a perfect diet. You see people all over, you know, particularly on Instagram now, influences. Veganism is the perfect diet. It's the way forward. Other people say, no, you need to go paleo. Paleo is the perfect diet. It's what we're meant, you know, by we're meant to be doing. Mm. Is there such thing as a perfect diet? Let's bust that myth. Yeah, not for everyone, though. Um, there might be the perfect diet for someone. But actually, if yeah. you look past what that is, it is the one that they can adhere to. 
consistently that provides them with the correct amount of nutrients, both macro, you know, the big guys, protein, fat, carbs, and micro, water, fiber, and um, keeps them healthy, happy, functioning, stable, able to eat a bit of birthday cake if they want. It's not too restrictive. You know, those are the factors that make a good diet. Not, you know, 30 days to abs, not making, you know, not the five to vegan, all of these, I've got nothing against them at all. In fact, if you want to go vegan, I will 100% support you. And by support you, I mean, help you be as healthy as you can be through your choices. It's absolutely fine. If someone says, oh, I want just to eat McDonald's, I'm going to try and make them be as healthy as they can. I'm probably going to let them know I don't necessarily agree with just eating, (laughs) you know, other food chains are available but generally the perfect diet in terms of for everyone does not exist great so that's a that's that one ticked off it's an individual thing like we said this is not a one-size-fits-all so actually there is a perfect diet but that perfect diet is only the perfect diet for you so right. these big sort of uh, these big ones like veganism you know it's not like we say it doesn't fit everyone um, it's no. not going to work um another thing that I would like to ask you about and you know sticking on the uh, the influencer Instagram bug I'm seeing loads at the moment about intermittent fasting mm. um, can you explain what it is and actually whether it's a good idea to just not like to stop eating that to me seems like it's going to be encouraging all sorts of you know bad relationships with food and stuff like that um, is intermittent fasting a good thing I know that's really basic and I'm really generalizing there and I apologize. Um, no, no, it, yeah. it is. Is it good? So intermittent fasting is when you choose to not eat for a period of time. And you can do that for a length of time from, you know, not eating breakfast. So instead of breaking your fast at eight, you would do it at 12, for example. What it is, is a version of time-restricted feeding. What that means is you eat your calories within a, a period of time in the day, whether that's eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours, we already do that because we sleep for eight, for example, and then we eat in the other 16. So what it does is it is an effective way of A, reducing the amount of calories that you eat generally in a day, B, allowing your hormonal access to uh, be aware that it's not eating and that gives feedback to it and allows it to be a little bit more regulated. And generally, all it really does is reduce calories. Generally, that's what it really does. Now, there are some studies, you know, on rats, which we have to be very, 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 very careful to uh, extrapolate. And in fact, we can't. Um, However, for the people who uh, are time-restricted feeding rats, they... Uh, had the same amount of calories to those who didn't have time-restricted feeding. And the ones that fasted had time-restricted feeding of a smaller amount of time. They were slimmer. So potentially, through a few reasons, it might be beneficial on its own. However, actually, if you look at it, it's just because it means you eat a bit less um, and potentially slightly improves your hormonal balance. Okay. Um, you spoke about sort of counting calories and it's all about 
calories in there. I think really important to, to talk about, and I know that we've got plans to do a future podcast focusing just on eating disorders, but mm. we said food is a massive emotional thing as well. People have a real emotional connection to their food. It's a fine line, isn't it, between counting calories and becoming obsessive and actually developing a really unhealthy relationship with food, which, of course, we want no one to have. No, and it's so important. And, and that's why when I talk to people, I'm learning and listening to what they're thinking about themselves and about their food and their habits. Because mm-hmm. if you're anxious, using food as control and have um, feelings that if you do act in a certain way, it makes you a better or worse person, then I'm less likely to recommend restrictive counting, you know, slightly obsessive creating habits. I'm more likely to work behind that to improve your body image and yourself, um, maybe recommend counseling and therapies, and think about how your food really relates to you and actually being constructive with it rather than restrictive, which can be quite damaging, as you say. Quite damaging. Yeah, totally. And obviously, if you've got any concerns about anything like that, then please do get in touch with us or get in touch with your, your local GP, um, because it's definitely something that we you know, at Meliora really sort of aware of and something that we're going to talk about much more in the, in the future. Um, Dr. Alex, any more myths you want to bust that you think is important? I just wanted to say one quick one. You know, when you go yeah. on a diet and you lose a bit of weight and you're thinking, fantastic, yeah. or if you've heard of someone else. I personally don't, but yeah. Uh-huh. And then, you know, they say, oh, I've lost three pounds already. It's only been a week. Um, I just wanted to let everyone know that the thing that helps you lose weight is consistently eating a, a, a few fewer calories than you require over periods of months. Yeah. The, the, the weight that you're losing in that first week or two is water weight. That's because glycogen, storage molecule of glucose and sugar, is in your muscles and your liver and a little bit in your blood. That carries water with it. So if you store a gram of glycogen in your muscles, you store about three or four grams of water with it. So if you've got 400 grams of glycogen in your body, that's a couple of kilos of water. So you're losing water. And then as soon as you even look at a sandwich again, look at a you know, banana, you'll put that weight back on. And that's the problem. Right. So don't get disheartened because people's weight goes dunk and they're like, oh, it's amazing. And then they get disheartened or they get hungry, they eat a packet of crisps, they drink a glass of water and it just goes straight back into your muscles. So don't get disheartened. Consistency is key. Not the diet, consistently eating a little bit less than you require. If you're attempting to lose weight and if you're not, then of course that's, that's fine. That's a great headline, isn't it? Consistency is key. I think, it's, really you know, I think we could probably apply that to loads of things in lifestyle medicine but consistency is key you know it's not about those fad diets where you can lose it in in seven days 14 days it's just not sustainable yeah um awesome so hopefully we've busted a few myths for you and of course if you have any more myths that you'd like us to bust then do get in touch with us and we'll try and do those at the start of our our next show um dr alex what have you got for us next top tips i thought we'd talk about top tips yeah because actually um yes there i'm gonna have to come off the fence and say a few things i think can help um now i've said a few things during all of this of my about you know consistency is key basing your food around non-processed uh plants not being vegan necessarily or vegetarian although you can be if that's your choice and that can be very healthy however 
basing your diet around plants, multicolored, yeah. a variety of plants, definitely is healthy. So my first top tip is exactly that. Non-processed, multicolored vegetables. I think everyone's meal, instead of meat and two veg, should be veg and some animal products if you'd like. It's number one. Um, That's an easy one. Yeah. Number two, the, th the thing is, I, I really wanted to make sure I, I hammered home some of the messages here. And again, if I'm talking with one person, which I regularly do, I can take quite some time to go through the detail of their day, their psychological, emotional, and social factors that make them eat like they do. For example, your environment yeah. affects what you eat. If there are always sweets available, when I was working on the, in the hospital, you know, in pediatrics, I'd go on the labor ward, there's always a box of celebrations because they are regularly getting thanked for helping deliver a child. You're gonna eat those yeah. celebrations, right? So one of the other things I can give as a top tip is planning ahead. If you've got your food and you've not bought rubbish and you've got your food and you've made it so that's what you're going to have for lunch, you will consistently eat better than if you're just running around, oh, I'll grab what I can. Because grabbing what you can is very likely to be poor quality food. A sandwich, a, you know, I'm hating on sandwiches, but probably not as good as, you know, the vegetables and a bit of, you know, a bit of paloo. Yeah, um, so yeah, consistency, multicolored, non-processed veg, planning ahead, and probably a little bit of a, a tip about fiber, making sure you're getting enough fiber and water maybe, am I allowed to lump two together? Because they really, really improve. Yeah, you definitely can. You, yeah, they really improve how you feel. Um, your gut, going for a poo regularly, let's talk about it, helps you feel so much better. Do it. Yeah, and, and actually lots of fluids, lots of fiber and remembering that fiber can bloat you out a bit so just building it up a bit slowly but generally very very important so yeah those are my top messages awesome thank you very much dr alex again i have learned so much that i just didn't know every single week you blow my mind with uh, all of these uh, all of these amazing facts um but i'm still taking the number one that fat is uh, fat is not the enemy and a little bit of cushion is uh, is worthwhile um <laughs> We spoke loads about people getting in touch. How can, uh, how can everyone get in touch with yourself and also with the, uh, the Meliora Medical Group? So how can people get in touch with you, Dr. Alex? So that's, yeah, that's a really useful thing to say because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do here is help people's health. So if you do want to contact us or me, you're very, very welcome to, and we can schedule an appointment or you can just, you know, just a, an email and I can put you to some resources. That's absolutely fine. So my email is alex.maxwell at melioramedicalgroup.co.uk and then our website, as you can see, is Meliora Medical Group. Um, and if you're listening, melioramedicalgroup.co.uk is our website. Awesome, Matt. And we really, really want to hear from you. You know, this, we do this for you. So if there's any myths that you want busting, if you've got any questions, any burning questions that you really want us to answer, then do get in touch and we'll either answer them on the podcast or we'll get back in touch with you um, personally. Also, if there's anything that you want us to talk about that you want to find a little bit more about, then please do let us know. I think our plan is that we're going to do um, some big things, but then we're actually going to dig a little bit deeper into... Um, into some smaller, smaller things. So I said we want to do one on eating disorders and things like that. But if there's anything else that you've heard us speak about, you know, um, and you think 
that sounded really interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. Then do let us know on the website. There is a little feedback box where you can you can write and talk about what you want us to talk about. So please do let us know, and we'll do our absolute best to to cover that for you. Um, all that's left to say is, Dr. Alex Maxwell, thank you again. Um, this is the highlight of my week every single week. I am absolutely loving it. Um, so thank you for all of your expertise. And guys, listening at home, thank you so much for supporting us. Again, leave us a nice review if you enjoyed it. Give us a thumbs up. Um, yeah. Do get in touch. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next week, see you later. Thanks, guys. Bye.